just wanted to jump straight in, really, because um, today I just feel like um, there's a message I feel God's been staring in me that I think is for the whole church, for us as a church, as we look forward, as we look to what God is doing. And um, you'll have noticed, just um, like even like today, in our time of worship, there seems to be a new hunger rising up from within us as a congregation, us as a community, that there's this, um, there's this thirst, isn't there, to, to linger, to not rush on from when the presence of God is here in the room. And I think we all felt it just then in the worship. God is here. God is here today, and he wants to do stuff within us. And, um, and deep down, with this hunger, with this thirst, I know that there is so much more for us that we can be stepping into. And that's the thing I, I feel God wants to, to do today. And um, as we've been praying and prepping for <clears throat> this talk, just um, the, what I felt God was saying is, God is wanting to raise our expectations of who he is and what he can do. So just before we dive in, let's pray once more that his Holy Spirit would come today. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would be so welcomed here today. Lord, come and have your way. Come and do what only you can do. And God, we say our hearts are open. We want to receive the more that you've got for us today, Lord. We want to look to the things that you're doing that we can join in with as a church community. So Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe afresh on us? Breathe afresh on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, about 18 months ago, I um, was involved in a church football game. And if there's anything you need to know about church football, it is the most brutal, the most dirtiest kind of football you will ever witness. And it's hilarious because we all gather. We, it, was, it was Soul Survivor against another church, I think, in Ascot. And um, it's hilarious because we all gather around the center circle and we all pray together. Everything's really, really nice. And then as soon as that whistle blows, it turns into a bloodbath. It's almost like every Christian's opportunity just to let all frustration, all anger out on this football pitch. And, um, and I, I fell victim to <laughs> getting injured on this day. There was this one tackle that I thought I could go in for. And... Um, the, the guy also going in for the, the ball as well, let's say he was just a little bit larger than me, so I was never going to win this tackle, but I thought, yep, I'm going to go for it anyway. And once, like, once I went in, I knew I got knocked off the ball, and I put my foot out to balance, and then my foot just rolled. Has anyone ever done that before? It's so, so painful, isn't it? And this little click just went in my foot, and I thought, oh, no, that's not good. Um, but trying to be a tough guy, um, carried on, played the whole match, <coughs> scored a goal. Um, and then, um, but at the end of the, the game, it, it got to a point where I thought, oh no, this is still hurting quite a lot. It's not just a, a normal injury that I can walk off. And so managed to drive home and then got to the stairs um, for our flat at the time and suddenly realized I couldn't actually get up the stairs. I had to hop up very awkwardly. And got in, took my football boots off, and my left ankle had just swollen into this massive melon-sized foot. It was disgusting. I couldn't even show you the picture this morning because it's that disgusting. It was bruised, everything, and I thought, oh no, this is, this is quite serious. But 
again, trying to be a bit of a tough guy, left it a week <laughs> and walked on it. Um, and funnily enough, went on a, a school trip, my son's school trip around Whipsnade Zoo. And someone told me afterwards, Whipsnade Zoo is actually the largest zoo in the UK. Um, so <laughs> we're walking around um, for two, three miles on this um, dodgy foot, um, holding all the water for the kids. But um, after about a week, I gave in. And there was this one night where I couldn't sleep. It was so, so painful. And I thought, right, I've got to go to the doctors and do something about this. So Susie, my wife, drove me to the hospital, A&E. And I got to the reception. And of all the people you can get at the reception desk was Luke Skinner, who's one of our... He comes in the evening. And it, funny enough, he was playing in the football match that I got injured on. And instead of being greeted with, like, oh, how can we help you, sir? It was just this... A little bit of laughter just going, <laughs> you've so broken your foot, mate. And I thought, brilliant. So there I am waiting for four hours. He didn't even get me to the front of the queue. Um, no church benefits or anything. And went in, had an x-ray, and there it was confirmed. They, they showed me that I had, I broke the back of my ankle. And there was this lovely crack through it. Um, and I thought, oh, no, this isn't good news. And so they gave me a boot to put on. Um, and the instructions given by the doctor were to, to not put any weight on this foot, just to, to have it raised at all times. And um, so I called my wife Susie again, and she came and picked me up. And much to my delight, I shared the news I've got to rest for six weeks, just as we were entering the summer holidays with two very active kids. And um, so it went down really, really well. But... Um, and so there I was, resting, that, they were the doctor's orders. In fact, I've got a little picture of um, me obeying the, the orders in my little boot there, um, resting up really, really well. Um, but um, it was a really, really long six weeks of just waiting, waiting for that moment when I, you could get up and walk again. And there came that day after six weeks where... I knew this was it. We were going in. I was so excited just to be able to take this, this horrible boot you've been wearing for six weeks off. And we got there. The doctor said, okay, right, it's time to get up and walk. And going in, I was thinking, I can't wait to walk. I can't wait. And then when the doctor said those words, everything in me just went, I can't do it. I can't put any weight on it. I haven't, I haven't used this leg in so long. And it's this alien feeling that I'm, I don't feel like I can go to. I was hesitant. I was nervous. And I wonder for many of us today <clears throat> that when we hear that, that call of, that, of God on our lives, that whisper, we, we feel the same way. You know, we want it, we want it, we want it. But when it comes to it, we're hesitant. We feel battered. We feel distant. And we don't feel worthy enough to, to step forward. And all sort of expectation, excitement to step into the presence of God has just gone. And, but I really believe this is the word that God has in store for us as a church today. That there's more he's wanting to do. He's wanting to raise his, our expectations of what he can do and, and, and who he is. And so... You know, this, this, this year has been crazy, hasn't it? And the whole time, God hasn't left us. God isn't done with us. 
He's been so close to us every step of the way. He's near today, and he wants to increase his power. He's desperate. He's so desperate to reveal his heart even more to us. And so where I want to start today is, um, you would have all heard this story before, um, the story where Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. And um, so let's give it a read. And in this story, we, we see um, what, what God does when we respond to his word. So if you've got a Bible, turn to um, John 5, verse 1 to 14. And it should come up on the screens. There we go. <clears throat> From Galilee, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish feasts. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool in Aramaic, the house of loving kindness, surrounded by five covered porches. Hundreds of sick people were lying under the covered porches, the paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God periodically descended into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Among the many sick lying, there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be well? The sick man answered, sir, there's no way I can get healed, but I have no one to lower me into the pool when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately, he stood up. He was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. Such an amazing story, isn't it? And I love just the simplicity of Jesus' words there. He doesn't use sentences or paragraphs. He simply says, pick up your mat and walk. And I think, again, for us today, just as a church, I feel like God is saying, it's time to get up and walk. And by that, I mean it's time for us to respond to the call of God on our lives, to be walking with him, to transition from just believing in the things that he can do to, the, to doing the things that he did. And one thing I, I love that really stood out to me in this scripture is I think we often look over it. It's just when he says, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. And I've always like thought... Why, why was that such an important thing? You know, if I was, if that was me and I'd been healed, I couldn't walk for 38 years, the first thing I would do is just get up and run, get the heck out of that place and just rejoice, giving thanks, leave everything you own behind. That's not a priority. But the pick up your sleeping mat, I think there's so much power in that. Um, and I believe that, I think that's what, what God is meaning by that is, Pick up your mat because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. And I think that's such a significant stage that we're in as a church right now is everything changes now. And just like I said earlier, there feels like there's a bit of an awakening going on. You know, as we look around the world at what, what else is going on, other church movements, and there seems to be a bit of a spiritual awakening, a bit of a renewal, a refining moment, stirring. And um, <clears throat> one example of that, that you probably would have all heard of the Asbury outpouring that we saw in America. 
And I don't know about you, but I was tuning in most days just to see what, what God was doing. And it was just amazing seeing so many young people, students just gather and they didn't stop worshiping. All they wanted is Jesus. And I had some friends who went over and just described it as such a purifying moment that, that God was doing in, in the history of our church, just refining us, making it all about Jesus and nothing else. And there was no focus on anything but Jesus. You know, and as, as a worship leader, you know, my, our temptation is always to try and get the best sound system, the best lighting rig you can get to try and create a, a great atmosphere. But when you looked at like the videos and the pictures of what was going on in the room there, it was this old little, what looked like a town hall, university hall. There were no special lights or anything like that. But there was just this hunger, this pure hunger just to worship God. And um, I even found out there was well-known worship leaders who turned up um, offering to lead worship. And they, the, the organizers said, look, thank you so much, but we don't need you. You know, we, we just want this to be about Jesus. And the minute we put anyone well-known up there, you know, the temptation it becomes, people come because of them. And we just want this to be all about Jesus. And I've got a friend who leads a church in East London, and he went out there, and so I made sure I grabbed coffee with him when he came back and just wanted to just listen to everything he experienced. And one of the things he said was the first thing he did when he got back was apologize to his church and just said, we've got it all wrong. Well, we've been trying to build up our church with our pillars and our plans and everything like that. We got it so wrong. And Jesus is the head of this church. We've got to let him lead the church and we've got to let him build it. And there's so many things that we do need to rest, that we do need to leave behind, that we don't need, aren't there? We want this church to be a church built on Jesus and let him lead it, let him build it. And the thing with awakening is when we allow our hearts to be open to him, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, there's this feeling of there's no coming back. You know, just like described that when the man got healed, just there's no coming back here now. There's no coming back. Everything really does change. That moment when we choose to get up, to follow him, to be a disciple of his. And our, our whole expectation changes of who he is and what he can do. We, be, we leave that behind, that, that previous life, that, that feeling of loneliness. We enter a life of walking with Christ where we are never alone again. And throughout the whole Bible, this is what we see. This was God's whole mission, to, to make sure we're never on our own. Um, and we see it. It was God's ultimate mission. Right back in the Old Testament, in Genesis, he created us. He created humans not to enjoy and look at from afar, but we see he, he walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. He was always finding ways of, for, for unholy people to access a holy God. And then in the New Testament, we're introduced to Jesus. He was God with us. And then we're introduced to the Holy Spirit as God in us. And in Revelation, we see the dwelling of God with his people. The mission of the whole Bible was one of God doing everything in his power to remove the distance between us and him. And we see that 
in Revelation 3, verse 20. It says, Behold, I am standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come in to you and feast with you and you will feast with me. I love that. And one of Jesus' most famous but such a simple sayings was, come follow me. And I love how John Mark Comer describes what following Jesus looks like. He's just written this fantastic book called Practicing the Way. And he describes being a disciple as to be with Jesus, to become like him, and do as he did. To walk alongside him in a posture of listening, learning, observing, obeying, and imitating. And I love that. Again, it's just so simple, but I long for us as the church, you know, for us in this next season of of our story, for us to, to know what God can do and for us to move from a, a place of simply believing to, to believing and doing, to doing the things that Christ said we'll do. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He's an American philosopher. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. And I just think that sums up everything I long for us to be as a church. You know, in a world where there is so much uncertainty, isn't there, with, with finances, there's, there's a war on our doorstep in Europe, and just there's, it fills us with so much fear and anxiety, but the biggest issue of them all is for us as Christians to live like Christians. This is what I feel God is calling us into, from believers to doers, to doing and believing the things that Christ said we would do. And I've got a friend um, who's an American pastor. He's called Nick Fox. And um, he's been over here and and spoke a couple of times in the past. And um, if you can't remember what he looks like, he looks like Cameron from Modern Family with a bit of personality of Jesus. So imagine this kind of extravagant um, Jesus-like guy preaching. It's, um, if you haven't watched Modern Family, go watch it. It's hilarious. Um, but um, spending time with Nick, he, he, he has no fear. When he feels God speaking, he will say it. And there was this one time where we were in a taxi together, an Uber, from his hotel to here at church. And we pulled up just outside. And, um, and that, that whole time, he was kind of sharing what he did. He was a pastor, telling him all about Jesus, this taxi driver. And, um, you know, for us English people, it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? You know, like, do we talk to the taxi driver? We certainly don't talk to them about Jesus. And then, so I'm sitting in the back a little bit awkward, and we pull up, and we get to this point, and he just puts a hand on this taxi driver's shoulder and just says, hey, just before I go, I'm a Christian, and I believe God speaks. And I believe he's just spoken to me. And I just felt like he's just said to me that your mum's going to be okay. And this guy just instantly just freezes, like, and then just says to him, what do you know? And he's like, 
look, I don't know anything, but I believe God speaks, and I believe this is what he said. And the guy is just absolutely shocked and just starts to, you know, gently open up and said, actually, three days ago, my mum had a seizure, and she's been in hospital for the last three days, and we don't know if she's going to make it. We don't know if she's going to come out. And suddenly, you just felt the Holy Spirit just fill that car with his warmth, with his peace. And the guy got out the car. He was crying his eyes out, just couldn't believe that there would be a God who would speak so specifically into his story. And Nick and him had this big cuddle outside. It was just a beautiful thing to see. And I remember saying to Nick afterwards, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you hear from God like that? Um, and have the boldness to step out and speak. And he said, I, I know I'm not alone when I speak about Jesus. I expect him to be at work because he's God in us. And he said, Tom, have you read your Bible? <laughs> so that's exactly what I went and did. <laughs> I went, went home and turned to John 14, um, verse 12 to 14, where Jesus says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask in my name. And that is how the Son will show the Father, what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. So I started thinking, what are the things I want to see? What are the things that I want to pray for, for our church to see, for us to move in? And <clears throat> went home and just was reading the Bible and discovered Jesus performed 37 miracles in the Bible. And some of those were, he turned water into wine. He calmed a storm at the sea. Jesus healed multiple blind people. He healed a man who was unable to speak. He healed the woman in the crowd. He fed 5,000 people with two baskets of food. He walked on flipping water. He heals a deaf man. He cast out evil spirits from people. And he raised people back from the dead. Now, when I hear that back, that's someone that I want to follow. That's someone I can get behind. And we see in Scripture, Jesus says, I tell you this in timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles, even greater miracles than, than these, because I go to be with my Father. You know, the book is open. God is wanting to use us right there. He's said to us in truth, in writing. If we walk with him, he's, we're gonna do even greater things than, than Jesus did. You know, even greater things than raising people from the dead. Um, and just to come into land, <clears throat> Just some of the, I wanted to share a couple of stories of um, just where, where I've seen the Holy Spirit move, um, just as an encouragement for us that, of how God can use us, just in the, the simple and the ordinary. And um, one of those stories is um, when I was about 13, 14, um, part of a youth group down in Littlehampton, and we went on this youth um, camp away, and I noticed my cousin who was with us, he, um, for the whole time we were there, he, he was wearing his sleeves, like down, like this the whole time over his hands. I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. I've never seen him do that before. It was almost like he was 
trying to hide something. And um, so it came to one of the nights um, where we were worshiping and, and a few of us just went to him and said, hey, is everything okay? Um, we've noticed that you're wearing your sleeves down, are you okay? And it took him a while to open up, but he said, actually the reason I have been wearing my sleeves down is because um, both of my hands are covered in, in warts and boils and um, I'm just really, really embarrassed. And so a few of us gathered around him and we prayed and um, you know, he showed us his hands and there were quite a lot of warts and boils. It wasn't nice to look at. And we started praying. He put his sleeves down and we probably prayed for about five minutes and then said amen and, and weren't expecting God to do anything. But then he lifted up his sleeves and every single wart, every single boil had completely gone. And you think, you know, for like five or six teenagers in the room, this was one of those moments where we all just jumped up and said, oh my goodness, God is actually real, you know? And we still have those moments, don't we? But suddenly the whole room was just filled with joy and we just had something to celebrate. This was, this was becoming part of our story and I believe that God wants to do stuff for us. This is part of our story, the more for us to step into. And just another story was um, during when we ran the, the summer festivals a few years ago, and um, I wasn't leading worship at the time. I was just in the congregation and felt God just give me this word. And I, I don't really feel like I hear from God specifically too much, um, but there was this one specific word where um, it just wouldn't go away, and I knew I had to do something about it. And, um, and so the word was, you know, this was a room full of 10,000 teenagers, and there are some words you pray God doesn't give you. <laughs> um, but this one was, felt God say, hey, there's a 15-year-old girl here. Um, she, about a week ago, found out that she was pregnant, and I want you to know, I want her to know that I've got a mighty, mighty plan for her baby. And so straight away I said to God, no chance. <laughs> That's like one word you don't give at a youth festival. Um, and, you know, at least give me something about like a dislocated finger first. You know, let's start there and then work our way up. But it wouldn't go away. So I got up and just shared this, this word. And, um, and at the time we were in two tents. There were so many teenagers. We, we had to split into two tents. And um, as the word was given, in the other tent, the overflow tent, there was a girl being prayed for by her youth group. And, and the, the, as the word was given, the, the, apparently the, the youth pastor just fell to his knees, praising God, thank, shouting, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he came and found me afterwards and he said, that word was for us. Um, two days before we were coming to the festival, um, this girl's parents came up to me and said, um, we just found out our daughter is pregnant. She's 15 years old, and um, we're actually thinking about terminating the baby. Um, but we want to send her to, to Soul Survivor festivals with the youth group to see if God speaks and go from there. And so this was one of those moments where I'm so glad I did <laughs> pluck up the courage to share that word. And, you know, God is good. That little baby is alive. He is well today. I met him a couple of years ago. His name's Noah. And, you know, I had a great cuddle with him. We were invited to go and lead worship at his church. And 
Still waiting for them to make me Godfather. But, you know, I believe that kid, you know, he's here. And, and, and again, this is, this is just in the ordinary. God is, is speaking to us all the time. And, you know, how many of those moments have I thought, oh, that's not from God. But I believe this is, as we respond to God's word, as we get up and walk, this, these are the stories that we're going to be walking into. And, um, and just even last week, um, I was leading worship at a new wine event up in Birmingham. And um, one of the, the organizers came up to me and said um, how he used to bring his youth group here. And they'd always, like there was this one time where they all got, um, had this amazing time of worship and filled the Holy Spirit. And then they went to McDonald's. And apparently that McDonald's at the end of the road is so famous for God working and for people becoming Christians in. Um, I had no idea. It's legendary apparently. So, um, so he starts telling me there was this one moment where they went over there, they all got their cheeseburgers, and then suddenly a few of them in the youth group started getting oil all filled on their hands and they were pouring it into empty McDonald's cups and <laughs> um, not drinking it. But... There was gold dust on the table, and um, God was at work, and suddenly all these people were seeing what's happening in McDonald's, and they're starting praying for people. People were becoming Christians in there. They got kicked out because it got too rowdy, and they went out into the streets, and people were still being prayed for. But these are the stories that I believe God has for us, for us to step into as a church. Um, so they're just a few stories, and, um, and just to finish, just want to go back to that story about um, Jesus healing the, the man who couldn't walk by the pool. And um, I thought we'd watch this, this short video from The Chosen. So it's really good as a visual representation of the story. I love it. So let's watch this. Shalom. Me? Yes. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping 
Bro's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool... It has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> I may have nicked that last little bit at the beginning of the talk. <laughs> um, but I believe this is the word for us today. You know, it's time for us to get up and walk, to respond to the things that God is whispering to us, calling us. And even if we feel distant, even if we feel hesitant, even if we feel not worthy, this is for us. It's time for us to step into the, the more that God has for us.